0: Is that bumper video going to come up? Okay, that's all right. (laughs) All right, just a little audio problem there, I think. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm worried, concerned about the state of the church in the world today. Uh, I don't think I'm alone in that observation, and I'm not saying that because of the marginalization that we feel as Christians in a post-Christian culture. That is a concern you know, whenever you feel like, you know, when we feel as Christians that we're being pushed aside and that somehow we've lost our influence. um, We should be concerned about that. And what happens when the church gets pushed to the margins, it can cause some of us um, to become desperate, to turn the tide back to what we once thought was a Christian nation. But in doing that, we can easily lose the soul of the church and the heart of the gospel if we're not careful. So I am worried about that. I'm concerned about it. One thing we do know about the gospel is the way that the gospel proceeds is not because we impose our will upon people, but we use persuasion, and particularly the persuasion of love. But some of the trends that we're seeing today in our world uh, tell me that we are in danger of losing sight of who we are as the people of God. We're in danger of that. And what it means to be a follower of the carpenter of Nazareth. I'm concerned that we're in danger of losing the heart of the gospel if we're not careful. And what it means to follow the one who said, take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I am meek and humble. We need to be concerned about how we're perceived by the rest of the world. Because our witness is important in order that they might come to know the Savior. And so, yes, we do long to see God's kingdom come. Amen? You know, come, Lord Jesus come quickly. We do want to see his kingdom on earth. But the question is, how will his kingdom come? Does his kingdom come by us protesting in the streets? Does it come by flexing our political muscle? It's important to use the levers of politics as we can, fairly. But is that how the kingdom comes? Does it come by getting the right people elected? What's it going to take for god's rule on earth to be established and that's what we're going to look at in today's message now uh those of you who know me know that uh, in my undergrad work in my early 20s i studied physics i was a physics major and uh i just loved it i had read a biography on albert einstein and that's kind of what got me interested in that and um just A few years ago, I bought a big tome. It was a a biography by uh, uh, the author Walter Isaacson, who's written a number of biographies um, of famous people. And he he did one on Einstein that was published, I don't know, 10 years ago or whatever. And I read that. And just recently, over my Christmas break, I decided to try reading it again. And I've been doing that. And and it's been really interesting because in rereading this, it just reminded me of how the thinking of Albert Einstein, particularly his special theory of relativity and his general theory of relativity and gravitation and all that, how it really turned the world of physics completely upside down. And what we learned from him, you know, like curved space, The space-time continuum. Uh, Those of you that watched Back to the Future know that term. But there, you know, just the idea of of, um, time dilating as things move closer to the speed of light and all that kind of stuff. And you're going like this is really strange. And then the quantum world of subatomic particles is a very, very strange world. And what it tells us is that, that reality isn't always as it seems on the surface. That there are powerful forces at work that we cannot see or perceive, that we know nothing about, that the true nature of God's creation is counterintuitive, and that God has introduced and did introduce physical plot twists to the people that study these things. And in the same way, God's kingdom is counterintuitive. Things aren't always as they appear on the surface. And so it should not surprise us that when we read the Gospel of Mark, to find some plot twists along the way and to actually be somewhat confused about it. So as we open the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament, it's the third of the Gospels, and it's the second, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the second one. And if, if you open it, and if you were to read it for the first time, suppose that you uh, grew up in a, um, an irreligious culture and your family, your home, uh, the country. And they knew nothing about Jesus. They knew nothing about Judaism. They knew nothing about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's suppose you didn't know anything. And you just happened to find Mark's gospel and started to read it. You would be struck immediately by the sheer force of his personality and by the power of his words and his deeds. He spoke with authority and he backed it up by his Uh, works of healing and the miracles and setting people free from oppression and and so on and that spoke to his divinity and jesus always seemed to get the the last word over his critics and he had a lot of them and so as he was preaching about the coming kingdom um, the reader reading this watching what Jesus was doing, reading about it, and listening to his words, would have expected that Jesus would soon usher in his kingdom on earth. That's exactly what his disciples thought was going to happen. So those first eight chapters, um, that's what you would expect. But that's not what happens. Early in Mark's gospel, we get a bit of a hint That there's going to be a plot twist where it tells us in the beginning of Mark chapter 3, verse 6, it tells us that his critics, his enemies, wanted to kill him. And they began some nefarious plot to somehow execute him or assassinate him. And so in those first eight chapters, we see uh, Jesus' works of power. But then we get to verse 27. And this is where Jesus, after they followed him for a time and seen everything that he says and does, and he says, So, who do people say I am? And then he says, Who do you say I am? Who am I? Who am I to you? And Peter very boldly says, You are the Messiah. In Matthew's gospel, he adds, The Son of God. And Jesus said, You're right. Bless you. He said, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. No human taught this to you. This was revealed by my Father in heaven. There was a spiritual insight and epiphany that Peter got that came through the Holy Spirit. And that marked a new phase in Jesus' ministry. When Peter called Jesus the Messiah, we don't know that he really knew or believed at that time that Jesus was the Son of God. But we do know that Peter, like any Jew, would have believed that Jesus, if he was the Messiah, would have been the true king of Israel, and he would be the final heir to the throne of David, and he would reestablish Israel as a world power. That's what the Jewish people believed that Jesus, not Jesus, but the Messiah would come and rebuild the temple, defeat God's enemies, restore justice and righteousness on earth, and establish his kingdom. But then Jesus, in the next section of Mark chapter 8, turns that whole thing on its head. So up until this part of the gospel, the first eight chapters, and this is what Pastor Trent said last week in his message, we've been learning about the power of the kingdom. Now we're going to look ahead to the path of the kingdom. And this is what it says in Mark eight thirty one, the words of Jesus. It says, he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and, after three days, rise again. What? We're used to hearing those words; they're familiar to us, even if we don't take them seriously. When he said that to them, you got—we got to understand—they were on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. He knew there was a cross waiting. They didn't. They thought there was power and kingdom waiting. And he's starting to talk about betrayal, suffering, crucifixion, death. He says that I'm going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. I'll be killed in three days rise again. That is, is a serious twist in the plot. See, they had pinned all their hopes on him in the coming kingdom. And now he says this. So what we need to know as Christians is that the cross, the crucifixion, is the central event of Jesus' life. Everything pointed towards that the entire bible pointed towards that beginning in genesis chapter 3 jesus knew from the very beginning some say from his baptism onward i think probably sooner that he was destined to go to the cross there was a hint of it to mary in the writings in luke chapter 2 And that's why the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians, you know what the Apostle Paul says? You know, the world was all caught up in wisdom and power, and you know, they had the philosophers in Athens, and everybody wanted to be so wise and and be eloquent, and and people were grasping for power just like people do today. And you know what the Apostle Paul said? Now, Paul was an educated man. He really was. He got the best of education. He was a brilliant man. You know what he said? He said, He said, when I came to Corinth, this is what he said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except what? Yeah, Jesus Christ and him crucified. When I came, I just kept it real simple. I wasn't trying to be profound. It's just, it was the cross. Now, we know he did talk long and had long speeches because somebody fell asleep and fell out a window. Anyway, we do know he talked long, but basically it all boiled down to Jesus Christ and him crucified. You cannot separate Jesus from the cross. Amen? We can't say, well, we follow Jesus, but we don't follow the cross. That goes together. So, the path, this is what I want us all to remember the path to the kingdom is the way of the cross. The path to the kingdom is by way of the cross. God's kingdom um, is subversive, it's mystifying. It's paradoxical. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. Power is made perfect in weakness. To be first, you have to become last. To be great, you must become servant. To find life, you must lose it. So we shouldn't be surprised at the confusion of the disciples. Because this talk of betrayal and suffering and death... seemed to come out of nowhere. Had they listened to the prophets, they would have understood. So Jesus' words were disruptive to their hopes and their dreams. And so when Jesus talks this way, the apostle Peter who just said, you're the Messiah. Now when he said that, Peter did, he did um, bless him. He's good for you, Peter. But then Peter turns around and says to Jesus, no, Jesus, no, this, this can't happen to you. That's not how the story (laughs) unfolds. You don't usher in the kingdom, Jesus, by letting them kill you. You need to fight back. What you need to do is march into the temple and take it over. Now, he didn't say that. But I imagine he might have thought that. So just like today, people in Jesus' day had a tendency to project their own hopes and dreams onto Jesus. And Peter and the others thought crucifixion is not the way to success or power. And what they didn't understand and what we often fail to understand is that Jesus' suffering and death are the heart of the gospel. There's a cross behind me. And when you look at that cross, that represents for us, it's a symbol that represents for us the love of our Father in heaven through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it took for God to rescue us. And it becomes a symbol. That becomes the symbol of God's rule. The path to the kingdom is by way of the cross. And so Jesus overturns all their false expectations. He jars them with this talk of betrayal, suffering, and death. But then he confuses them even further with the next statement. And this is the focus. And this is what he says. And these will come up on the screen, I hope. Uh, They'll come up on the screen. Are we there? Okay. And he says, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, hang on. We go, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. To them, not only was it, disruptive and shocking when he talked about his own death now he says you also must come and die with me look at the next verse verse 35 for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it next verse please thank you for what does it profit a man a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. What if you gain the whole world, but then you do it at the cost of forfeiting your soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? Keep going in the next verse. Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It was distressing when they heard about him dying. But now he says, You too must suffer and follow me to the cross. So, in the church, we are so thankful, and I am thankful, that Jesus is our Savior. Aren't you? Yeah, he forgives us our sins, gives us eternal life, and so much more. But he isn't only our Savior. And I'm going to use a big word, but it's the perfect word. He's also our exemplar. And if you look it up, exemplar in the dictionary, it actually means a role model, somebody that we should imitate. And you go, well, we're not called to imitate. Yes, we are. It's in the Bible. We are supposed to imitate Jesus. We're supposed to imitate him as dear children. He's not just our Savior. He's our exemplar. He's our role model. That's why it says in Romans 8.31, he is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters he's the first and we follow in his steps verses 35 to 37 if we look at verse 35 for a second you know he says you know if you seek to save your life you will lose it there's an irony there isn't there you don't find your life and the meaning of your life by clinging to it you find it by losing it he says you know that old hymn, the old rugged cross. Many of you know that. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. I will cherish the old rugged cross till at last my trophies I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Do we cling to life, or do we cling to the cross? There is a book written called The Irony of the Cross. And I just want to read you a little bit about um, a summary that was given about this book. And I'm quoting. It says, The cross of Christ is the greatest irony in the history of the universe. This book puts the shock back in the cross by highlighting the ironies of Christ's death. And it says... In reference to his suffering and his crucifixion, there is no other point in time when Christ was more emptied and stripped of his divine dignity. And yet, there is no other place where Christ's glory is more prominently displayed than in the cross. It tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, it talks about that great dragon, Satan, the devil. And he's hurled from heaven. And then it says of God's people, they triumphed over him by... Yes. Before that, it says the blood of the Lamb, Terry. Yeah. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even to the point of death. That's what it means to follow in the way of the cross so given the current state of our world with this political and social upheaval we need to hear a message like this more than ever we need to live this message our salvation the kingdom will not come our salvation will not come in power politics but in the weakness of the cross and jesus in verse 38 he warns of the peril of refusing the cross. Now, people can sit here and say, well, I don't refuse the cross. Well, let's see. Are we ashamed of the cross? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me or my words, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. Are we ashamed? Am I ashamed? Are you ashamed? Not just of the name of Jesus, but are we ashamed of what the cross represents? Because he said, if you're ashamed... Of the cross, you're ashamed of me. So, how do we respond when we don't get our way? When we don't get what we want? If you follow the way of the cross, you don't impose your will. We submit to the will of God, we turn the other cheek. We bless those that curse us. We endure suffering with joy. If we refuse to do that, we're ashamed of the cross. How do we respond when our plans fail or we encounter adversity of some kind? That's a test of whether we're willing to follow the way of the cross, which is the path to the kingdom. How about when we're criticized or if we're attacked? How we respond is a test of whether or not we're willing to bear the cross. We choose not to be vindictive, spiteful, hateful. So the path to the kingdom, if you want the kingdom and all that it offers, it's by way of the cross. So I wonder if we understand the significance of um, this moment in history that we're living in. there's been a lot of very, very difficult moments in history. Don't, don't you agree? Uh, there's been plagues, and there's been wars, and there's been upheaval, social and political upheaval. But you know what's different now? It's, it's There's a global thing happening. We live in a global network, and news travels fast. And one thing, you know, uh, China sneezes and Canada gets a cold. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's like it doesn't matter what happens way over there, it also affects us. It's more serious in that way. And we need to understand the times in which we're living and why these words matter in a time like this. Things in our world today are coming to a head. I don't know if there's gonna be some pressure release or how that's gonna look. I don't know the future, the Lord does. But we need to get onto God's agenda, follow the way of the cross, and to do that sooner than later. What in my life, in my attitude, might cause Jesus to say, like he did to his disciples when they didn't get it? And he kept saying to his disciples, Do you not yet understand? Is he saying that to us, the church today? Is he looking at us and weeping and saying, Don't you understand? In a world that is politically charged and power-obsessed, we need to learn once again to walk in the humility and the meekness of Jesus Christ, who embraced his cross. We need to show the world out there that there's a better way than hatred and violence and grasping for power. So that's why I say the way of the cross is counterintuitive. It is paradoxical. Unless our minds are transformed and illuminated by the Holy Spirit who teaches us, who instructs us. In Jesus' day, the cross represented torture. That's what it represented. You know, you might as well have had an electric chair. That, that would be the kind of imagery. Um... Today, it is a cherished symbol. It's a cherished symbol. And it is also, uh, you know, people wear it around their necks and so on. But it's also a symbol of God's power. I mean, I, I just want to read this to you. This is uh, just to show you that the whole of Scripture resonates with this. In First Corinthians chapter 1, this is what... The Apostle Paul says, For the message of the cross, okay, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. That's what he's saying. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who don't understand. But it's the power of God. That's counterintuitive. God's kingdom does not come through human machinations or scheming. Although the message of the cross may seem foolish and weak to some, to others it's strangely attractive. Just like that hymn, the old rugged cross. Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction to me. What is it about the cross and what it represents? The Apostle Paul said this, and he's talking about us as believers. We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So we put out an aroma. To the one, to those who are perishing, we're the aroma that brings death. We stick to high heaven. But to the other, we are the aroma that brings life. And we're attractive when we walk in meekness and humility and follow the way of the cross. So it is sobering to know that we're called as well to suffer and to die. Jesus is not just our Savior. As I said before, He's our exemplar, our role model. <laughs> this is not wrong to say this, but you know, people say, Praise God, Jesus bore the cross for me. And that is a wonderful thing to say. But we have to add the next part. We also must bear the cross for him. He calls us to that. Heaven is waiting, folks. This isn't it. Jesus says, take up your cross. Deny yourself, your self-life. Take up your cross. And Luke, he says, daily and follow me. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he spoke of the dangers that he faced as a Christian, as an apostle, as a preacher. He, you know what he said? I die daily. I, we face death all day long. I'm willing to lay it all down. The crucified life is, is something that is every day. It's every moment. We experience it when we're confronted with our own selfishness, with our pettiness, with our selfish ambitions, with our desire to be praised. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. He knew from the beginning this was, this was his destiny to go to Jerusalem, not to go to church, but to go to a cross. The Apostle Paul was perhaps, in all of history, perhaps he was the greatest follower of Jesus. And you know what he said? When he was saying goodbye to the Christians in, the, in Ephesus after being with them for a few years, it was very emotional. And he said this to them before he said his farewell. Now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jesus was compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, just like he was compelled by the Spirit to go into the wilderness to be tempted. So Paul says, I am compelled. He said, I don't know what will happen to me there, but he said, the Holy Spirit warns me in every city that prison and hardships are facing me. However, my life means nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task, the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Whew. And then, when they argued with him on the beach and they were trying to dissuade him, and said, "No, Paul, don't go; it's dangerous," he said, "Why are you weeping for me? You're breaking my heart. I'm called to this." You and I are called to it. Dr. Falk, David Falk in our church, told me about the church in Iran. Some say that the greatest Christian revival right now in the world today is in Iran. In Iran. Even though Iran is one of the most dangerous places on earth to be a Christian, thousands of Iranians have come to faith in Jesus over the past months. Christianity is growing faster, they say, in Iran than anywhere else in the world. There's an incredible revival happening as Muslims are turning from their faith, their religion, and choosing Christ during a pandemic, and they call it a pandemic of hope. But it comes with difficulty as many have been arrested and imprisoned for responding to the gospel message. And yet, they choose Christ. And they know when they choose Christ, they choose a cross. So the question is, how do we as Christians follow the way of of the cross? Especially when we experience injustice or see injustice around us. Jesus asked, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your very soul. What can you give in exchange for your soul on that day when it's too late? So I'm gonna ask you a question. As you sit here today and as you watch online, what difference has Jesus made in your life? How has the cross transformed your worldview, your values, your priorities, your character? Have you allowed Jesus and the cross to change you from the inside out? That's what he comes to do. The goal of the Christian life is, well, people say to go to heaven. That's part of it. But the primary goal of the Christian life in the Bible is to become more like Jesus and to let his kingdom rule in our hearts And the only way for that to happen is to go by the way of the cross. It begins with me, and it begins with you. If you want to see change in the world, be the change you want to see. It begins with you and me. When we can say, I am crucified with Christ. Can we all say that? I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, but Christ lives in me. There's more. That's Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, and like Paul, I die daily. The Apostle Paul also said, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world is crucified to me and I to the world, through which the world is dead to me and I am dead to the world. That's why, Jesus, that's why the Apostle John said, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. There's nothing there for us. We can enjoy the good things of the world, enjoy them, but don't worship them, don't make idols of them, don't cling to them, hold on to them loosely. So will you take your cross today? Will you retake it? Because the path to the kingdom is by way of the cross. Christianity is more than just a belief system. Yes, it is a system of beliefs. It's more than that. It's a way of life. It's a way of life that is centered around the cross of Jesus Christ. So will you follow? Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to please come. Father, I thank you today that you sent Jesus to come into this world, this broken, fractured world that is filled with upheaval and uncertainty That is filled with vice and hatred and schism. And Lord, you came. You sent Jesus. And you sent him to the cross and he willingly embraced it. And now, Lord, you invite us to do the same. As our heads are bowed, would you right now, in prayer, silently, before God, would you say, Lord... I deny myself, I deny my right to myself, the right to have my way, to get my way. I deny my self-life, my selfish ambition, to try to live life on my terms. But instead, Lord, I want to live life on your terms. Because what you have for me is so much better than what I could ever plan and hope for for myself. So I deny myself. I take up my cross. And I will follow you. Teach me to follow you. Teach me the way of the cross. The path to the kingdom. And right now, before we close in prayer, if there's one thing you can think of, that's been holding you back, something you've been clinging on to, would you, would you now let it go? Would you say, Lord, I let this go. I repent of it. I confess it. I repent of it. I turn away from it. I let it go. I lay it down. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.